Well, I have a word to deliver, but I'm going to see how I can get it done. I may have to edit and cut out as I go, because I know you like to get out at noon, and I'm not promising I can do that today with 16 baptisms and all of the other. And yes, I knew it was coming. So we're going to ask for the favor of the Lord. And now that you are seated, would you stand and please read the word? And I'm going to ask you to lift your voice to boldly proclaim God's word from John, the 11th chapter. John chapter 11, starting with verse 17. You will see some words that are highlighted in a different color. Just hang on to that because we're going to do my best to draw my attention to much of that. Would you say it together? When Jesus... May God add his blessing to the reading of his most holy and infallible word. Thank you, and you may be seated. John's gospel is filled with many vivid portraits of Jesus. Every one of them a portrait of his greatness and of his glory. In this chapter that you have just read from, chapter 11, the greatest of all the miracles of Jesus is on display. The truth is, if all the other miracles were stricken from the gospel record and all that remained was this miracle, the miracle of the raising of Lazarus from the dead, we would have enough in our possession to conclude that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. Before I dive into any kind of homiletical unfolding or exegetical presentation of the text, that's just preacher talk. Please allow me to first say something about the delays of God. I think every one of us have at one time or another experienced the delays of God. The delays of Jesus are always delays of love. Earlier in the text, Jesus received word that the one he loved was sick. Obviously, it makes it clear to us he felt very close to Lazarus. But Jesus, as we know, delayed getting to Bethany, the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. 
But I want to be clear in our understanding. Jesus could have healed Lazarus right from where he was at the moment he learned of his sickness. I'm sure you remember the centurion who came to Jesus saying, I'm not worthy for you to even come under my roof, but if you'll just say the word, Jesus, then my servant will be healed. Jesus could have healed Lazarus right from where he was. Or Jesus could have made the day's journey to Bethany when he first heard that Lazarus was sick. But when the disciples were questioning Jesus about the situation with Lazarus, here's what Jesus said to them. He said, for your sake, disciples, I'm glad that I wasn't there. For now you, disciples, will really believe and you will see God's glory revealed. Let me tell you what I see in this for you and me today. Sometimes the stuff that happens to you is not for you. Think about that. Say that with me. Sometimes God is simply trying to bless someone or speak to someone else sometimes through your situation. Is there something happening in your life today that has you absolutely mystified? You just can't figure it out. You're not sure why you're even having to deal with it. You're not sure why it's an issue requiring any of your attention. Let me just tell you that years of living and walking with Jesus have taught me that if the best I can say about something is, I just don't get it. It could well be possible that God is speaking to someone else through you and the circumstance really is not about you whatsoever. God is trying to get someone else to see that if you can make it, they can make it. I don't know about you, but I'm happy to be used by Jesus in any way he needs to use me. Is that you? God is trying to demonstrate through your life that no matter how dark life gets, morning is going to come. I think you'll remember that Scripture says, weeping may endure for the night. But if you hold on, if you keep the faith, if you stay right in there, what comes in the morning? I can't hear you. And the testimony of God in you is having the opportunity to have profound effect upon someone else. Let me tell you what else I see in this delay of Jesus, his delay to get to the home of Lazarus at Bethany. That is this. Heaven's clock is different than our clock. Turn to someone and tell them that. You didn't sound like you meant it to me. Heaven's calendar is not the same as our calendar. But I'm telling you the truth when I say, and I ask you to believe me, that the answer from heaven always comes at just the right time. It is punctual, though it may be delayed. Someone needs to be reminded this morning in this house that God is never in a hurry. He takes his leisure because he is working from eternity while we are waiting in time. 
Our understanding of time, our understanding of the dimension of time is limited to what we know while we're on this earth. But he is working from eternity past to eternity future. The sorrow of Martha and Mary is prolonged for the same reason that it was sent in the first place. And if we would think of it as discipline and schooling and less frequently as pain and a burden, we would understand the meaning of things far greater than we actually do. The object of their pain and ours is that our wills should be bent until they coincide with God's will. Raise your hand if you've ever prayed for the will of God in your life. Ever. Of course we want God's will. We're asking for God's will and what's happening in our church right at this time. That's why we asked you to meet with us this last Thursday night and be involved in the other meetings. What we care about more than anything is the will of God. Is there an amen for that? And if our wills are going to be bent until they coincide with God's will, here's what we have to know. That takes time. Sorrow may break you, but it takes time to bend you. Trouble may break you, but it takes time to bend you. God is trying to bend you and shape you and mold you, and that does not happen in three years. It does not happen in two months. Is there a witness in the house today? Who's going to help me preach? Are you here today? Because here's the reality. You have to go through some stuff if you're going to learn anything about the will of God. You have to suffer through some things if you're going to know anything about the will of God. You have to bear up under some things if you're going to know anything about the will of God. And when you come out of it on the other side, if it does not break you, it will bend you. And whatever bends you to God's will is for your good and for his glory. Is there anyone in agreement with me today? Someone here this morning has been sick. God has brought you out, and you're on the other side of it now. And you have the testimony that can say to someone, that, you know what, my friend, you may not appreciate it while you're going through it, but if you'll just stay right there, if you will wait on the Lord, if you will be of good courage, he will. Yes, he will. I said he will. Yes, he will. He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. My grandmother used to say, he may not come when you want him, but he's always, I'm sorry, he's always right on time. Can we just be reminded of the promises of God that we have in Scripture? The Lord is a very present help in the time of trouble. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And when the wicked... Even my enemies and my foes come to devour and attack me. They will stumble and fall. And guess what? Sometimes your enemies are in your own family. Did you know that? But fret not yourself because of evildoers. Neither be envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut off like grass, and they shall wither like the green herb. Trouble may break you, but it takes time to bend you. Let's do a little bit deeper dive this morning into the text and see that the problem 
the, see the problem that had them defeated. Martha, Mary, Lazarus were a trio. You don't hear of one without hearing a mention of the other two. Mar Martha appears to be the oldest because she's often mentioned first. Other proof that she was probably the oldest were things like Martha, as you'll remember, was the disciplinarian. Martha was the housekeeper. Martha was, uh, she was the rule keeper. How many know in this life there are rule keepers and rule breakers? Which one are you? Are you all the rule keepers, raise your hand. Bless you. All the rule breakers, raise your hand. Yeah, that's what I thought. Martha didn't seem to smile and play very much. She appeared to be the oldest, and the oldest in the family always think they're the boss. Am I right about it? I understand. I'm the baby of the family, of my family. I have an older sister, and she is in charge, okay? The oldest always think they know everything. How many oldest children do we have in the, in the house? How many baby of the family do we have in the house? The oldest typically think they're the mama. Martha is in charge. Martha's always running things. You remember that day that Jesus was sitting there at their home and Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha was in the kitchen serving and she reached the point she just had enough. She couldn't take it anymore. And I can see her. She threw down her dish towel and said, Jesus, tell that girl to come in here and help me in the kitchen. Here, that's Martha even bossing Jesus around. <laughs> Jesus responded, Martha, calm yourself down. You can chill out. Mary has chosen the good part, and I will not take it from her. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were always together, but now Lazarus has become ill. And his illness is, as Scripture says, deadly. It is unto death. It's the problem that had them totally defeated. Many folks in this room today know that death is an ugly thing to deal with. Many of you, many, many of you have had to deal with it firsthand in the last couple of years, particularly in some longer than that. You know what it is to have to, uh, that it can invade your home. It brings with it discouragement, brings disillusionment and defeat. When someone we love dies, we are, we are literally ripped apart. Several years ago, I was producing a music video for the Assemblies of God Missions Department, which I've done for every year for 32 years. And back in the earlier days of doing that project, we often did on-location video shoots, literally all over the world. About a crew of six to eight of us would go. And before we arrived on location, we were typically schooled in some of the basic cultural understandings that were important for us to know and the customs of the people, whether it was Cuba or Jamaica or um, South Africa or Malawi or Europe or the South Pacific, all over the world. One of the locations was the Fiji Islands, specifically the main island in the South Pacific uh, Ocean. There were some customs that I, I, I discovered <clears throat> And uh, one of them was this, that when you visit the Fiji Islands, it's, you might notice something that can happen late in the evening. It's, it's a very sad and melancholy event. Well, I, I noticed it a couple of times, and I asked my host missionary, well, why is that happening? Why is that taking place? They said, well, when someone loses a loved one, they will climb to the top of the tree, and Fijians can climb up a tree lickety-split just like that. 
It didn't take him long at all. Um, they will climb to the top of a tree, or if they are not doing that or are too elderly to do that, they go to the edge of a cliff. And what they do, if they've lost a loved one, they stand and they shout out, Come back! Come back! It's a very melancholy, uh, gut-wrenching cry from the depth of their soul. But the only thing that comes back is the empty echo of a voice that is now stilled. And for the, they're longing for the hand that used to soothe and it's now missing. And the plaintive lament of come back, come back is the cry of someone who's longing for the touch of a vanished hand. And now that person is gone and, and all they can hear now is the echo of what used to be a voice that is now stilled. Well, in the time of Christ, when he was on this earth, there was a rabbinic belief that the soul hovered over the body of the deceased for the first three days. But on the fourth day, at the hint of decomposition, the spirit then finally departed. That's what the early rabbis believed and taught. That's one of the reasons why Jesus waited four days. Scripture tells us that. Exactly four days to be sure in the eyes of all that Lazarus was truly dead, for real dead. Absolutely no question. He was making sure that everyone believed Lazarus was absolutely dead so that no one could say that Jesus had simply resuscitated him when he was in the grave. Jesus waited until everyone knew that a miracle needed to be performed. And once all hope was lost, all hope was gone, that's when Jesus stepped in. Well, I'm here to say, church, that's exactly what he does right now in our lives. He waits until you've tried everything you know to try. You've done everything you know to do. You've exhausted every every resource you've ever had. He waits until you've cried and you've prayed and you've prayed and cried and no answer has come. And just when you think, think it's all over and all hope is gone, that's when Jesus steps in. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah for that today. And I believe he does it to let everybody know that you had absolutely nothing to do with your deliverance. You had nothing to do with the answer that came. All the glory goes to Jesus. I be believe he does it so that from the depths of your soul will come a shout that cries, only the Lord could have done this. Only the Lord deserves the praise for this. Only Jesus is worthy of the glory and the honor for what he has done. Somebody say amen today. He doesn't come too early. He doesn't come too late. He shows up right on time. Lazarus is dead, four days dead. Rigor mortis has set in. His body is decomposing. And Jesus shows up in the midst of their problem with power. And he dis displays the power that he had described. Power. How many believe today Jesus still has power? Power, power. Wonder-working power in the precious. When Jesus gets there, Martha, who is in charge, did something that at first appears to be disrespectful. But I encourage you to look again. Because in Jewish tradition, there is a ceremony called Shiva. Shiva. 
in, the fo- in, in following of this tradition, when a person dies, they are buried the same day, and that becomes the first day of the period of mourning. Then the immediate family mourns for six more days for a total of seven days, whereby they stay in the house and do not come outside the house. If you do any research into this, you'd find it in Shiva, they cover the mirrors and they cover the windows and people come to the house during Shiva and all they do is mourn over the loss of that loved one. You do not leave the house or you will violate the ceremony of Shiva. But when Martha hears that Jesus is coming, she doesn't care anymore about ceremony. She breaks tradition, she breaks the ceremony, she runs out of the house because the very one she's been looking for has just arrived. Let me say this, when you want to see Jesus bad enough, when you need his power bad enough in your life, when things have reached the point that you've got absolutely no, no other option, you don't care what anybody says, you don't care what ritual says, you don't care what Pentecostal or denominational tradition says, you don't care who you're sitting next to, you don't care if they laugh at you, you don't care if they talk about you. When you are in trouble, Father, I stretch out my hands to thee. You don't care. All that matters is that you're crying out to him. And you know what I believe with all my heart? Somebody needs him here this morning. Can I just encourage you to cry out to the Lord? It's okay to lose your inhibitions. Don't be concerned about what other people think. Don't be too tightly wound up to tell God that you need him in your life today. Don't be concerned that those sitting beside you would maybe find out that your heart is broken. What if they find out that you didn't sleep at all last night? Don't be bothered that people in the church know that you've cried in the midnight hour. You may very well be in the situation where you simply need to cry out to God. God, I need help. I need mercy. I need grace. These burdens are too much for me to bear. These sorrows are too much for me to carry alone. And We see here that Jesus has arrived right in the midst of that kind of situation. Martha breaks the tradition. She doesn't care. She runs out, breaking the tradition of the ceremony of Shiva. Now, you would think it would be Mary that would do that because she was the one always sitting at his feet. But the Scripture says that Mary was sitting in the house. Martha's the one who said, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to take care of this situation. Don't forget she's the boss. She's the one in charge. She runs out. She breaks tradition, which is actually a form of great respect, if you think about it, to even run out to meet someone during Shiva. Nobody else would she do that for. And then Martha says, Lord, if you would only have been here. Oh, if you'd only been here. If you'd only come when we called you, our brother would still be alive. But then she gives us three incredible words. But she says, but... Even now. Those of you who are in this house today, you feel like you've exhausted every resource. You've tried every path. You've done everything you can to save that marriage. You've done everything you can to rescue that boy, that girl that you have. You have no idea 
how you're going to get through the rest of the day or how you're going to get through tomorrow or this week or this month. I'm telling you, I'm asking, and I have prayed for you that you would have a but even now moment in your heart. That something would spring forth from you, from the depths of your soul, that a fire would come within you, that even in the midst of the worst circumstances, where it looks like everything has gone wrong, something within you would say, but God, I'm crying out to you and I believe, but even now. My brother's been dead for four days, but even now. Our situation has been in the tank for four months, for four years, but even now, I believe that your power is strong enough to do, to do what needs to be done. Somebody give that an amen today. Even in her sorrow, she still has hope. Even in Shiva, even in her time of pain, she believes that God can do something. Lord, thank you for getting here. I really am, appreciate you coming, but if you'd come when we called you, He'd still be alive. He's, he, he's dead now. But Lord, I do know this. Just one touch from you. I know that even now, whatever you ask of God, he will give it to you. Martha's first words to Jesus are really not, they're not words of rebuke, but they're words of, of, of great grief mixed with great faith. And she's confident that if Jesus had been present when her brother lay ill, he would have, he would have healed him. So, so look at this from the position of the Lord Jesus for a minute. The concern of Jesus at this point is to direct Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what takes place at the last day. You read it. Oh, I know he's going to, I know at the last day I've been taught that my whole life and he will rise again. So, so Jesus is, he's, he's, Concerned about how does he redirect her focus from an abstract belief in what takes place at the last day to a personalized belief in him who alone can provide what she's looking for. With this in mind, I want to say something. As saints of God, we have the privilege of facing death with confidence, knowing that just as he raised the daughter of Jairus, just as Jesus raised the son of the widow of Nain, just as he raised Lazarus, one day you and I also will be raised from the dead. Come on, give God praise for that today, if you believe it. One day we will be raised from the dead. Many of you know my mother passed away from this life. It was last August. It has not even been a year yet. 94 years old. Never did think of herself as old. And she did such a fabulous job. That's, that's my mom at, nine, at 94 years old. She looked good, didn't she? But we spent many times as she got into her 90s, I said, uh, Mom, do you fear death? Nah, you. That only happens when you've lived a life believing Jesus. That only happens. You don't fear death. You, you, you're, it doesn't concern you because you know it's not over just because they put you in a grave. I don't think you're hearing me today at all. Are you nervous about the time? I'm trying to watch it. Can I preach? Jesus said to Martha in verse 23, your brother will rise again. Now hear me, I've done my study on this. That word again is an insertion into the text. Again is not in the original manuscript. Manuscript. 
again is inserted to make the sentence make sense to us in English. Jesus actually said, your brother shall rise. Now, to understand what I'm trying to communicate, you have to go with me back to the book of Job just for a minute. In Job chapter 14, he says, man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. Verse 7, for there is hope for a tree if it be cut down that it will sprout again and that its shoots will not cease. Verse 9, yet at the scent of water it will bud and put out branches like a young plant. Verse 14, if a man dies, our Bibles say, shall he live again? Most versions I checked, and I checked many, all said, if a man dies, shall he live again? But actually, that's another misrepresentation of the original text by the insertion of the word again. What Job was actually saying, if you dig deep enough in this, if a man dies, shall he keep on living, is what was actually being said. Jesus was saying to Martha, even though your brother died, he keeps on living. Let me give you some hope for the next time you go to a funeral. Next time you go to a funeral, when you see a casket, recognize that if the person inside that casket is a Christian, that's not a casket, that's a hope chest. Anybody with me today? Because women put wedding dresses in a hope chest, right? Is that what you do? They put valuables in a hope chest. Because when you open it again, what you put in there will still be in there. Next time you go to a funeral for a Christian, it's not a casket for somebody. It's a hope chest to keep somebody who's going to come back to life. Pastor Brent sang it this morning in the choir, I am. I want you to also know he said in our text today, I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus is not dead. He still lives. Let me tell you what gave me confidence to come to church this past Mother's Day, though it was my first Mother's Day without, with, with my mother in heaven. My confidence is this. My mother's not dead. She's still living. She's still living in another dimension of reality, and I will see her again. I am as sure of that as I am that I'm standing on this platform today. And let me just help you understand, this is going to be crude, and I hope it's not offensive, but let me tell you how to understand this a little better. I've told you, I watch almost zero television, and occasionally, Wheel of Fortune, and that's it. <laughs> I'm pretty good at guessing it. But that's it. Years ago, Years, years, years ago, I did watch a little daytime TV, maybe in the summer, many, many years ago. There used to be this wonderful, inspiring program called Guiding Light. It was a real blessing in my life. On that show was a character named Ross Marler. Now, Ross got killed on the Guiding Light, and I was terribly upset as a young man. I almost cried. I was just sure that Ross knew me and I knew him. But the day came when the guiding light, he was killed off, the guiding light on CBS, there was some other sort of special on that network or got preempted or something. And so I flipped the channel to NBC and I discovered something called Days of Our Lives. And lo and behold, you know what I'm going to say? There was Ross. Living, but in another character. 
What I'm trying to tell you this morning is this. Death for the Christian is that you simply change channels. You're not dead. You're on another station. For we know that if this earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have another building from God, a house not made with hands, and it is eternal in the heavens. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God today. This very hour, my mother is sleeping in the arms of Jesus. She's not dead. She still lives forever and ever and ever, forever and ever. And if my trust is in Jesus, and when it's my turn to go, you, you might read in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram that J. Daniel Smith is dead. I want to tell you right now, that's a misprint. And you march downtown and you tell them that is a misprint because I will be more alive then than I've ever been before. Your brother shall live, Jesus told him. Martha said, I, I know that he's going to rise in the resurrection at the last day. The problem they faced led to the power that Jesus described, which takes us into the promise that Jesus declared. I'm going to be through in just a minute, those of you who are nervous. Look one more time with me at the text, this time verse 25. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever, I'm sorry, never, never, ever die. Now, I'm going to give you a little quick English lesson here. This never, ever has a grammatical name. The phrase, it's called an emphatic negative subjunctive. I know you all knew that. An emphatic negative subjunctive. It is the strongest way, certainly in Greek, to negate something or to say it absolutely is never going to happen. It employs a double negative, never ever. Now, please, let's, let's hear it clearly this morning. Jesus did not say, I can provide a resurrection, did he? which in and of itself would be absolutely astonishing. He did not say, now for you, I can arrange for a resurrection. And wouldn't that be amazing? Neither did he say, I have resurrection to give you. No, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. When Jesus died on the cross, the last words out of his mouth were what? It is Please notice he did not say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. It was not the cry of a defeated victim. It was not the expression of an exasperated soul saying, I'm done with this thing. I've had it. But rather, dear ones, it was the triumphant shout of a great victor. The Bible says that when he cried out, with, that, that he, when he cried out, it is finished, it was with a loud voice. So what was finished? Hear me. Let me tell you what was finished. Everything needed for my salvation was finished on the cross of Calvary. Everything needed for your salvation, it was finished on the cross of Calvary. Everything I need when I get in trouble, he finished it on the cross. Everything I need when my soul is weary, he took care of it on the cross. Everything I would ever need when my family turns against me, he took care of it on the cross. 
Everything I would ever need when the devil tries to trip me up, he died for it on the cross. It is finished. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. And then he asked the same question of Martha that he's asking you and me this morning is this. He said, do you believe this? For some people today, it's hard to believe because you live in time. You've never lived in eternity. We have to have eyes of faith to understand what it is to live in eternity and not simply in time. In time, we are limited to space. We are limited to the dimensions that we know here, but God is not. So it takes faith to believe. But the question to you is the same as to me. Do you believe that everyone who lives in Christ and believes in him will never, ever die? Because if you don't believe it, then coming to church this morning makes no sense. If you don't believe it, it does not make sense to ever open your Bible again. If you don't believe what Jesus said concerning himself, it doesn't even make any sense for you to pray. You are wasting your time to come to a place to believe in a Christ that you say you believe in, but when trouble comes, you shrink back from that belief. That may be a little hard for some today. When trials come, you can't go to church. When sorrow arises, you can't lift your head up. But if you believe what the Word is telling us today, telling me just like it's telling you, if you believe, then he will stiffen your back. He will give you what you need to face the day. He will lift your bowed down head. He'll give you courage in the midst of your trouble. Somebody say amen to that. He will give you triumph in the face of your enemies. He'll give you victory in the valley of the shadow of death. Do you believe this? I said, do you believe this? Let me tell you how to know folks who really believe. You can spot them. I can spot them here this morning. They come hell or high water. They're coming to church to give God glory and praise. No matter how dark the night, no matter how difficult the circumstance, they're going to get up on Sunday morning, maybe tired, maybe sick, and they're ready, but they are ready to come and give God praise in the house of God. The question to you and me this morning is this. Do you believe? And if so, do you believe that God is the healer? Do you believe that God is provider? Do you believe that God is the deliverer? Do you believe that God is the mender of broken hearts? Do you believe that God is the protector? Then what have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. Is there anybody here who is a believer in this house? Would you, if that's true, would you stand to your feet? I'm going to pray, Pastor Brent, and I want you to lead us in whatever you've chosen. Everyone in the house, lift your hands. Balcony, lift your hands to the Lord. Everyone. Bottom floor, lift your hands to Jesus. Lord, we are here this morning because we believe in you. And I pray if there's anyone in the house today that does not believe, that you'll give them the courage to come and let us pray with them at the end of the service. Because Jesus, you've said it, you are the only way, you're the truth, you're the life. No one comes to the Father. The only way to God is through the person of Jesus Christ, God's only Son. 
And we declare that to be the truth today. So God, we thank you that because we believe in you, you give us the boldness that we need to stand strong. Because we believe in you, you give Stephen and, his, and, and the crew that's going with him the ability to stand strong and declare the gospel of Jesus in Belize when they go week after next. Lord, because we believe, we've shouted our praise to you today because we found you to be the faithful one, ever faithful, ever true. Because we believe we're here to glorify the name of Jesus. Because we believe we're here to lift the name of Jesus higher and higher and higher. And so we give you our highest praise in this place today, O oh God. And we give it all to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church shouted hallelujah. Now put your hands together and bless the name of the Lord today. <laughs>